Chapter One of Miss Frances Baird, Detective, by Reginald W. Kaufman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Deneen's Diamonds. The office boy thrust his brilliant red head in at the door. Miss Baird, he said. I looked up from the morning paper as the schoolboy looks up from the book he has been pretending to study while expecting a summons from the master who, a moment before, has detected him in some gross violation of the academic law. Yes, I interrogatively replied. Chief wants yer, snapped the boy, with his accustomed grin, and the crowning glory of his head disappeared. It was as I had expected. Of course the chief wanted me. I had now been associated with him for two years, and after the considerable successes, as I believe it is fair to call them, of my first twelve month in the offices of the Watkins Private Detective Agency, successes, by the way, which I secretly knew to be due rather to good fortune than to any taste or talent on my own part. There had followed a corresponding period of failure, which I had, only the day before, brought to an appalling climax, by allowing the arrest of Bella Bringhurst, the cleverest woman forger in the country, to be made by our natural rivals, the city officers, after I had been within striking distance of the offender for at least a week. I should be lucky, I reflected, if I were let off with the usual one month's wages in advance by way of balm for the wound of dismissal. I got up, and traversing the short private hall, was almost immediately in the presence of John Watkins, Sr., my employer. The elder Mr. Watkins, and this story at least, has nothing to do with his son, was a tall, slim man, with a frame which had not, in the ultimate days of luxury, been allowed to lose the wiriness so needful in the time when its owner was an employee instead of an employer. The shock of iron-gray hair surmounted a high forehead and a pair of kindly blue eyes, which seemed literally to be peering at you from behind a perfect jungle of beard. Just now, however, I fancied that those eyes were more keen than kind, as the chief turned round on his swivel chair before the large roll-top desk and motioned me into the seat that, facing a strong north light, was usually assigned to clients. I managed to say, Good morning. Mr. Watkins brushed the conventional civility aside. Miss Baird, he began, I don't suppose it's necessary for me to tell you that I am very much disappointed in you. Very much disappointed, indeed. He paused, but I did not say anything. I did not even look up, for I knew that no sort of response was just yet expected of me, and that in any event no excuse would serve. "'You started off so well,' the chief pursued, "'that I had begun to have high hopes of you. But this last year you have more than undone all that you did at first. You let Donald Dugan get away with a three days' start of us, and it was no fault of yours that he was ever nabbed at all. You were all wrong in the Durham robbery. You botched the Van Hamburg jewel-case. You are really worse than useless in the matter of old Eben Stoner's divorce, and—well, I don't suppose I'll have to go over the whole list, but it seems to me that you have about finished off matters with this affair of Bella Bringhurst. Again he stopped, and then somehow I did permit myself a few sorry words. I dare say I have, I weakly confessed. Yes. He so dryly agreed that I could have bitten out my tongue. You certainly have. And as I say, he continued, his tone softening a little, it has been a decided disappointment. You have most of the requirements of a first-rate woman detective. You are not afraid of a mouse. You're quick-witted. 
you know how to behave among the best sort of people. You're young, and <clears throat> you're pretty. I was not easily to be trapped again. I kept my peace, and he, after tapping for a while on his desk with those long, strong fingers of his, continued. If you hadn't these things, oh, of course, I value them only in a business way, I should certainly let you go at once. But I do remember that you made good use of them at first. And so I will keep you here for a little while, only on the smallest sort of assignments. And then, if you don't qualify, why, really, I shall be compelled to ask you to sever your connection with my establishment. It was a pretty hard dose to swallow. But, as I had spent my salary for a month ahead, and was two months behind with my landlady, I got it down, with a wry face, and was grateful that it was no worse. "'Thank you, sir,' I said, exactly like the schoolboy I had been fancying. "'Is there anything I might start on right away? I'd like to retrieve myself as soon as possible.' "'I think there will be something this morning,' Mr. Watkins answered. "'Do you know anything about Mr. James Deneen?' "'In our business we must know as much as possible about as many people as may be, and pretend, even to our superiors, to know the rest. So I said, the capitalist?' "'The retired promoter.' my chief corrected. "'Yes, I know something about him, though I don't remember ever to have seen him. He must be about sixty-five years old. He made his start as a keeper of a small inn in London, came to this country in 1869, made money in Kentucky oil lands, sold those out to the Standard at a big profit, doubled his fortune during the first trolley boom, tripled it in Wall Street, and three years ago bought a country place at Black Springs, where, I think, he's been living ever since.' I was pretty nearly right, and I knew it, for as good luck would have it, I had overheard two men sketch that much of old Deneen's career that very morning on my way down on the L. For the first time during our interview, Mr. Watkins smiled. "'You've hit it rather close,' he conceded. "'Where did you get it all so pat?' I smoothed out an imaginary wrinkle in my dress. "'Oh,' I modestly explained, "'I always try to learn any data that might ever chance to be of any use to me in my work.' The chief coughed again. <clears throat> it was plain that he did not wholly believe me, and thought me all the cleverer for my evasive reply. Well, he said, wherever you got it, it's near enough for any use it's likely to be on this assignment. Mr. Deneen's eldest son is to be married in a couple of days. There's a house party at the old man's place near Black Springs, and a dance there tonight. And while the general festivities are going on, and all sorts of persons are coming and going through the house, the boss wants some clever people to be about, and keep an eye on the Deneen Diamonds. You've heard of them, of course. There, I was caught at last. I had to blush and admit that he had me. All right, he said, good-natured at last, as men always are when they think they have outwitted a woman. It doesn't matter much. Deneen brought them over with him from England. Just how he got them nobody exactly knows, and I guess he wouldn't particularly care to tell even at this late day. Anyhow, he never even admitted having them till he had been here a good many years, and then Mrs. D. wore them at the time she tried to break into society. They're about the finest things of their kind in this country. A whole necklace of two hundred stones of the best water, two big sunbursts, a pair of earrings, three bracelets set almost solid, and I don't know what else besides. They're worth a fortune in themselves, and they're to be a present to Miss Bladesdell, the girl James J. Jr. is to marry. The old gentleman is almost dippy about them, keeps them about all the time in his private vault at the Salisbury National downtown. And now, as I said, 
He wants somebody to keep an eye on them, till they're all safely round the neck of the bride as she walks up the church aisle. He wrote to me the other day, and he's to call here at eleven-thirty this morning. Let me see. Mr. Watkins pulled out his watch, for he never tolerated a clock in his office. It hurried clients. It's eleven-twenty-five now, and Deneen, being an old businessman, is likely to be prompt. Step into number one, Miss Baird. Keep your ears open and wait. As I probably shan't see you alone again before you start, take this roll, and he handed me a fistful of bills. And remember that, small as this assignment is, your, well, your job depends upon it. I swallowed my wrath, took the greenbacks, and went into the room which he indicated, a little badly lighted waiting booth for employees only, where large apertures in the wall opened behind the wallpaper in Mr. Watkins' private office, and thus gave those sent into number one the benefit of hearing distinctly, without being seen, every word spoken to the chief by any client into whose service we were about to enter. End of chapter 1